All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Silver Screen and Roll podcast. I am your host today, Harrison Fagan. As we continue the month of May, we are rotating hosts and days and shows. So normally you would hear uh, you would actually hear my my guest today, Sabrina Merchant's show. Um, I am blanking on the name right now because I'm not good at this. And this is why I normally don't host. But Sabrina, welcome on. Thanks for having me, Harrison. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is normally your day. So I would normally just cede the floor to you. But I I think that the topics today are and by the way, you can follow the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, just about everywhere that you find podcasts. And uh, this is a rough intro because it's been a long weekend. And like the Lakers, in case you've been living under a rock, they are last week when I recorded this show with Alex, we did a whole show on how Ty Lue, or we did like half the show on how Ty Lue looked like a done deal and how all this was going to like, and how he would help all the young guys and what his schemes would benefit. And then in, in the week, you know, obviously that fell apart. The Lakers since moved, they moved quickly onto Frank Vogel. He was like pretty quickly reported as the front runner. And now, you know, it's been reported by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN and various other outlets that he is going to be the head coach and that he will be bringing on Jason Kidd, although not as his lead assistant, according to some reports. They're saying that they're doing it, I guess, the Phil Jackson style, where there were no lead assistants, which is just continuing to add to a bizarre weekend process-wise, a bizarre coaching search, and just, you know, just a crazy month really since magic johnson stepped down so sabrina i'm gonna put you on the spot like what stood out to you most about this kind of yeah i mean just i I keep saying crazy but crazy just week and month in general and the the lead up to vogel and all of that so there's a couple of things uh that really seem quite weird to me even within lager standards one is that the team seemed to have no interest in following like a hurried or even like a reasonable timetable when they were hiring either Monty Williams or Ty Lue. And then once the Lue negotiations fell apart, it was like, all right, we got to get this done as soon as possible, which I mean, is, is Vogel the guy that you have to rush for? Like, that's what I'm not understanding here. Yeah. I don't, it's strange to me, the timing and like, again, this isn't any reporting. I, I just like, I feel like the timing makes me feel like it was, they saw the outrage of people mm-hmm. when the Ty Lue stuff fell apart and how people were just kind of in disbelief that they couldn't get this done and that it was taking so long. And I think the protests too, that they saw over the weekend, I, I think all that stuff, you know, just looking at it from the outside in, I think that affected them because otherwise there isn't a whole lot of explanation for why they felt like they needed to rush for Vogel because I don't know if you feel differently than I do on this I think you know I think he's an okay coach based on what I've read I think that he has his merits it looks like he's a pretty strong defensive coach pretty weak offensive coach and he'll probably have to bring in a coordinator on that end but I mean, yeah, it's like you said, this is not necessarily a guy that you rush for. And that's no disrespect to Frank Vogel. But I do think that they were like, I think the public perception affected them. Yeah, it's so weird because the front office seems to be insulated to all sorts of public criticism for most of the time. And yet this, I guess maybe this was the tipping point. The fact that somebody walked away from a real physical offer when all signs pointed to Ty Lue being the head coach and... I mean, we, we'd been talking about it, like you said, as if it was a done deal, which in hindsight was just terrible, terrible mismanagement on our part. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I almost feel like I feel like they do react to public perception. I, I think that they just don't know how to do it in a way that's actually going to calm anyone down. Like their mm-hmm. whole response, to, like their response when people were freaking out about like the Ty Lue thing and like, oh, he's going to be LeBron's puppet. He's going to be this and that. Those were the criticisms coming from the egg 
avatars and dimensions. And, exactly. you know, like they, they tried to calm Lakers fans by going back to the old well of like Lakers legacy. They're like, oh, well, Phil Jackson endorsed him and Magic Johnson did. And it's like when uh, when Phil Jackson just went and basically drove the Knicks into the ground and Phil, we just saw how the Magic Johnson tenure ended with the Lakers. You can't go back to the well of Lakers exceptionalism anymore and just be like, well, these guys signed off on it. And like same with the Frank Vogel thing, like you can't calm people down by saying it's going to be a Phil Jackson style coaching staff and that Kurt Rambis and Phil Jackson learned from New York. And what they learned is that stars and egos can, you know, submerge a team and all of that stuff. And like, that's not working anymore because people have seen these people fail and they've seen you fail repeatedly. Like you have to make a move to actually calm them down and not just be like, oh yeah, but don't worry. Phil Jackson said it's going to be chill. Exactly. And that's the second thing that seemed very strange about this whole process is that Phil Jackson is suddenly back in the Lakers years and having front office decision-making power, or at least he has influence in the process. I mean, I understand that like he's the one who brought Kurt Rambis to New York, they're best buds. And obviously it all goes back to him and Jeannie and Linda and Kurt having this like foursome that ran things in LA back when he was with the Lakers. But after everything that happened with Phil Jackson in New York, just like the complete decimation of everything the New York Knicks were doing and the uncomfortable things he said about LeBron James, why he is a guy that you would want to have back in the swing of things is just beyond me. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> I got I want to be careful how I say this uh, because I don't I would like to think that they are not intentionally trolling LeBron James and trying to make it uncomfortable for him, but like if I was going to write a playbook of how do you piss off LeBron James one year after he signed. And actually, Tom Ziller of SB Nation wrote a great column on this on, I believe it was Friday, about like, do the Lakers even want LeBron James anymore? And Mm -hmm. it's like the moves and the way that they're selling these moves, like, first of all, moving on from a guy that even if they're saying was not his preferred head coach or, you know, like his his camp pushed back on the idea that they had any influence over the Ty Lue process. And the fact is, if they would have thrown their weight around more, Ty Lue might be a Lakers coach today. We don't know that, but Mm -hmm. I feel like that's probably the case. don't think that they were really throwing you know their weight around a whole lot on that but at the same time like the moves that they made sense so they failed to go get the guy that we know can optimize LeBron James they go and get Vogel who's a guy that like there are whispers like you know like our own Pete Zayas Laker film room was saying on Twitter that he's heard that you know like he he has heard concerning things as far as what LeBron may or may not think of Vogel and you go and do that and then you bring in like you know it's just, and then you start justifying all of these decisions through Phil Jackson signed off on it. And, you know, Kurt Rambis, who is like, you know, Phil Jackson's right hand man for a very long time, is also the one, you know, that we're seeing. And we'll get into this more. We're seeing his power increase. It, it, it really is basically like a playbook of how to intentionally troll your best player and almost make it uncomfortable. Like, I'm not saying that LeBron's going to demand a trade because I don't think that's going to happen. But it, it's almost like it's become a pissing contest where they're trying to show him through pissing him off, that they're in charge. Exactly. I mean, Christian and I talked about this two weeks ago about, he asked me, you know, when do you think LeBron James starts to lose faith? And I thought it was such a far off consideration. Like it hadn't even occurred to me. And it's it's so weird that within 14 days, we're at this point where like, yeah, I mean, the Lakers <laughs> are doing everything they possibly can to piss him off. And, yeah. The number of people that are making decisions in the Lakers front office and the fact that we've arrived at this outcome I mean, think about, you know, three years ago when the Lakers hired Luke Walton. Like, I, obviously, the, the way his tenure went is, you know, a story for a different day. But you remember it being very, it was a very optimistic time, right? Like, yes. This was the guy they wanted, the guy they got. Um, 
And even though it was like the whole, you know, one day, like that 10 hour long interview that ended up bringing him in, like there was so much joy in bringing in Luke Walden and like the hiring of Frank Vogel is just sort of like perfunctory. Like, Oh, we, they had to hire a head coach. He was available. So they did it, you know? Yeah. No and magic to any of it. <laughs> and he knows that he was there at least at the very least third, cho- at the be- at best, he was their third choice. Like he right, knows that that's publicly out there. Juan Howard, right. <laughs> say that, say that again. Depending on how you feel about Jawan Howard's role in this whole thing. Well, the fact that he didn't even get a second interview after that initial yeah. process, like he must have underwhelmed or they just didn't feel he was ready yet or whatever yeah, it may yeah. be. Like, so Vogel knows that like at best he was their third choice because they went after, they went hard after Lou. And then depending on who you believe they did or didn't offer Monty Williams the job or they implied mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, but they clearly were interested. They had some people, maybe the Rambi interested in Monty <laughs> Williams. And so like Vogel knows that he, not only is he coming in with that perception that probably wouldn't help you win over LeBron very easily. If you're coming in and you're like, he already knows it's like fresh meat. Almost. And then you come in and then additionally, you're adding on Jason Kidd as, uh, you know, the like the NBA's resident like coup master of or I guess, you know, not necessarily always successful. Yes. Yeah, he he tries. But, you know, he succeeded in Milwaukee to some degree. He didn't get the front Mm -hmm. office power he wanted, but he, you know, he shanked their head coach and got in there and he tried to like you know, seize power in Brooklyn and one of the more misguided, I think, attempts we've ever seen. But like, you don't think that Jason Kidd is going into this knowing that he has LeBron's ear in a way that Vogel just can't yet. And maybe I'm not saying that Vogel can't earn that. And again, I'm not saying that he's a bad coach, but like, I I just think that they're they're almost setting him up to fail. And that's why you already have whispers. This is, they haven't even publicly announced him yet. And you have Stephen A. Smith going on ESPN and saying that, that you should expect Jason Kidd to be the head coach of the Lakers within the next two years. Frank Vogel's deal is three years. (laughs) the same uh, low ball deal they offered Tyloo so at least there's consistency on that yeah I mean he just clearly obviously wanted the job if he was willing to take the three years he was willing to agree to the kid stipulation and maybe he just you know all these coaches are confident so maybe he just has supreme confidence in himself that against all odds like he's made it work against all odds in Indiana before when he first got the interim job nobody expected him to land like you know the head coaching job he's gone against the odds before and come out on top but you know I, I just I really don't think that they're putting him in a position to succeed they're 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 making it difficult on him with all these leaks and by allowing all of the speculation by not coming out and talking to people and revealing what they're what they're saying with their own words and not through leaks are their plans and I, I just I don't I do not understand any of it yeah I'm I'm actually uh strangely excited for the Frank Vogel opening press conference just because <laughs> they have to talk there right they're not just gonna like put Frank Vogel out on his own and make him take an introductory press conference like somebody asked her to introduce him I was like, trying Robert, to I was thinking over the weekend of like how awkward could this get? And imagine if they had like I- I'm picturing like Jason Kidd next to him on the pro- podium, <laughs> and like they're both up there, and it's almost like the Jerry West and like Pat Riley co-coach press conference where like nobody knew actually their role and they were changing their answers to reporters. Like I, I think they're really trying to get that worked out okay in the end. So maybe they're going to try and do that. I don't know. It's a very very strange situation, um, but I think it's probably time that we talk about like. Frank Vogel. Yes, we should talk about actually what Frank Vogel brings. So go ahead. Right. So like you mentioned, he got the interim job in Indiana. Uh, I forget who he replaced that year, but he presided over a fairly successful year in Indiana Pacers or tenure in Indiana Pacers. Yeah, they had the number uh, one defense twice. Right. Uh, He had those teams with, you know, Roy Hibbert and Paul George and 
Lance Stevenson and George Hill, like that era. And they went up against LeBron James a number of times as, you know, is your lot in the Eastern Conference. So I think he's probably pretty happy to be on the other end of that at this point. Yeah, you would think. He probably uh, but, has flashbacks about those series against LeBron. <laughs> three straight years, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like you said, defensively-minded head coach, There's, it's it's hard to say that he still has that capacity because the Orlando team is underwhelmed so much on that end. And that's really what's giving me pause is that for as good as he was in Indiana, the Orlando Magic period was such a disaster and – Steve Clifford took that same team essentially to the playoffs the next season. So it's hard for me to know if he is a relic of, you know, a, a different type of game that just the NBA doesn't play anymore, or if it was just a bad fit in Orlando and he just needed a fresh start. Yeah. You know? So I, I think lending some level of faith that, first of all, he replaced Jim O'Brien. I looked this up while you were talking. And so right. like, you, you know, like Jim O'Brien, I don't think he was a tremendous coach. So it's not like he had to do a lot to like impress over Jim O'Brien, but like he still, he still won out. Mm-hmm. I remember even reading back at the time that he was this young guy, you know, he had had, I remember reading that he had been formerly a Lakers advanced scout. So they still, you know, the con- the continuation of, they have to know what it means to be a Laker. Can you learn that? within a year in the advanced scouting department. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it seems like, you know, they're betting on it. And I, I would, I would be shocked, frankly, if they don't play up that time during this introductory presser that he's eventually going to do, I, I guess to, you know, alleviate some of the concerns defensively. Yes. Obviously he had really great defensive personnel in Indiana, but like, so the, the, the B-ball index, which is uh Kranjus McBasketball's website for like, you know, kind of advanced stuff and uh, like advanced basketball stats and, you know, advanced basketball analysis, mm-hmm. their metrics is, so they have a, something called defensive optimization rating for coaches. And among all the coaches with at least two seasons since the 2013, 14 season, uh, Vogel has the best defensive optimization rate as far as his personnel. And so like that's accounting for players and things like that. So and that's also including those magic years and not all of his years where the Pacers were really good because that's since the 2013-14 season. Okay. Um, So that would seem to me to be a feather in his cap that like maybe this like the defense thing is legit, even if his defenses in Orlando weren't great. Like they obviously, you know, he didn't really have the personnel there to get a good or the continuity. We all know that good defense takes continuity in most cases. Like you can have like defensive spurts as a team where you're kind of new guys coming together and you can figure it out for a little bit. But I I, I don't know. I've always felt that in order to be a really good defensive team in the long haul, you kind of have to have that continuity. And he just never had that in Orlando and that's not me making excuses for him or trying to talk myself into him I'm just trying to contextualize so I think the defense thing is real on the flip side among all their coaches that they rank uh he only Luke Walton was worse at optimizing this his players so like, like uh, they took a step forward was the center just for like Lakers a very very small team he was last among centers in RPM and then they signed Moskov who was second to last among centers in RPM <laughs> Yeah, so he's the Mozgov of coaches. This is great. I'm talking <laughs> myself. I lo- I'm into the Frank Vogel era already. Um, so I-, I think, you know, and so he's going to mm-hmm. need probably an offensive-minded tactician, you would think, a- unless, you know, he was just ceding all those responsibilities to a former assistant in both stops, and I'm not 100% sure about that, and maybe it just didn't go well because of that. But it- it's still, that's on your resume, and you have to figure out somebody better to empower, even if it was somebody else's fault. And 
Jason Kidd is not that. There's nothing about his offenses with the Bucks that makes me think that he is going to be the guy that is the offensive mastermind that comes in and, you know, helps Frank Vogel coach like a number one offense. And prior to last year, we would have said, well, anybody can get LeBron James to a top 10 offense. But, you know, somehow Luke Walton managed it and Vogel was only just ahead of him. So I, I think they're going to need exactly. someone that's, to that's take kind on of some what of those the, duties. The downfall of Vogel is, is because the Lakers were better defensively than they were offensively. Like remarkably a team with LeBron James in this advanced stage of his career, like you said, couldn't figure out a top 10 offense. And that's what was so exciting about Ty Lue is that there was already some defensive framework in place, like some structure that they could bank on even with a new coach. And Oh my God, if we have to watch this offense again with Frank Vogel running things like Walton did. Like Lou and Vogel would have excited me. That's like, that's mm-hmm. two guys that like have very opposite skill sets that you would think would very well complement each other and make like a cohesive coaching staff. Kid, his, his best, you know, if we're going to call anything best, like it, it, the most success he had as a coach was, you know, with his defense initially. And that obviously got figured out in Milwaukee and he right. never adjusted. So that doesn't really, that's not really a feather in his cap. But like, you know, like, so you're putting together two guys that ostensibly, you know, like their best plaudits are on defense. And so they are going to need to bring someone in to take over that offensive role. I guess th- we should also probably talk, unless you have something else to say on Vogel, we should probably talk a little bit about Kid um, as well. You know, I-, I feel like this show and this website has talked a lot about Kid. I feel like people are upset about it a little bit, but I, I think we have to talk about, you know, they're bringing on this assistant mm-hmm. coach with kind of this checkered criminal history that I know that our own Anthony Irwin wrote like a wrote a story about and he just does doesn't think that uh, Jason Kidd should be allowed to coach in the NBA because of this. And, you know, I think that it sends kind of a poor message in hiring him and overlooking that. And like their reasoning that they leaked out through Ramona Shelburne on ESPN that like they feel like apparently the Lakers feel like it wouldn't have allowed them to make him a head coach, but that, you know, it's not as bad because he's an assistant. I just feel like if it's bad, it's bad. And if it's okay, it's okay. And right now you're saying it's okay. makes it okay that he has this these issues in his past just doesn't doesn't track at all it's it's really just dispiriting to know that the lakers are simultaneously acknowledging the fact that jason kidd has this history acknowledging that it's troubling but then saying but that's not i mean it's not enough of a reason not to hire him like Yeah, it, it's just like if if you have a moral stand against this, it doesn't matter where you know who you're. High. I mean, I get, I understand what they're saying about the head coach is like more the voice of the organization and all that stuff, and theoretically should be someone who is of higher care. Mm-hmm. What, like, I kind of understand what they're trying to get at, but I also think like you can't. That's so tone deaf to say that and like to just almost act as if it's not bad if he's an assistant, like. I understand that it would be worse if he was a exactly. head coach, but it's, it's bad not, not bad it's, just because it's, it's not fine because he's an assistant. That the Lakers because they have a female owner, you know, and she has, you know, Linda Rambis in her ear. You'd hope that they'd have more sympathy for the female perspective on this side of things. But I mean, either they're not the ones making those decisions or they don't have that influence, but it's, it's really frustrating all around that because they acknowledged it and still went through with Jason Kidd. It's, uh, it's just, yeah yeah it's like it almost would have been better if they were just unaware of it 
And I don't know if they're just trying to paint it as they were aware of it and they just didn't think that anyone would make it a big deal. But I, I don't know. Any, aside from that, so it's obviously disappointing for that reason. I don't want to I, I don't want to beat a dead horse on this and like just continue to talk about it. Like, I think that we should talk about their reason, their basketball reasoning mm-hmm. as well for deciding that all of this stuff was worth overlooking. Yeah. And I'm not sure that it's necessarily much better. Like they talked about. Well, okay, it's, you know, obviously they're two different things, but, like, I'm not sure that their basketball reasoning for bringing him in is sound either, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, like, part there was this report, like, right after it came out that they were leaning towards making Jason Kidd uh, an assistant for Frank Vogel before they had officially, like, come to terms with Vogel, um, that... Like there was this report that came out of nowhere that he had apparently mentored Lonzo Ball last year, and everybody was kind of like, "Wait, what? Like, when did this happen? What? Like, what? What's going on with that?" And then it came out later via Tanya Ganguly of the LA Times that that you know quote unquote mentorship <laughs> consisted of Tyson Chandler setting up a phone call with Lonzo Ball and Jason Kidd. So like. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that I mentored Lonzo Ball more in the last year than Jason Kidd did, but I think I might have talked theory, to him more Jason Kidd if it was like just exactly one phone the call. Kind of point guard you'd want mentoring LeBron James, just right, just from a basketball perspective. Because yes, if we're just looking at the basketball, everyone talks about how stuff. good of a leader Kidd was on the floor, which is something Lonzo has been coming into, you know, throughout his time in the league. They obviously, playing style wise, you know, they can do everything on the floor but shoot, and we're talking about like you know early Jason Kidd back when he was called Jason Kidd because he didn't have the J, right? Uh, but yeah, that's why like when I first heard yep. the rumor, I was like, oh, this is this is kind of a nice idea that Jason Kidd would be passing on some wisdom to Lonzo because it's stylistically, it's a nice fit. And then of course, the one good thing that Lakers did just like wasn't actually true. Just one three-way phone call with Tyson Chandler. Yeah, apparently Tyson Ch- Tyson Chandler just called Jason Kidd and put him on speed. I mean, I'm not. I, I, this is not me reporting. I don't know that this is exactly what happened. But what I'm picturing is Tyson Chandler just like on a road trip with Lonzo. Like somebody was like, Tyson, can you get can you get them to talk? And so he just he called Jason Kidd like almost like an ambush, and just was like, Hey, I got Lonzo here with me. You got any advice for him? And just put him on speaker. <laughs> like, yeah. Fella. That's championship buds, right? Tyson and Jason. Yeah. And like, it's not everybody wants to give him credit for, you know, the developing the bucks and all of this stuff. And like, that's all well and good. Like, I I understand Zach Lowe actually talked on the low post about how bucks players unprompted with no more, you know, like will admit that they had issues with Jason Kidd, but will also say that he taught them how to win. He taught them how to fight hard. He helped them develop and they will give him credit, like without being asked about it, they will credit Mm -hmm. him for it. I'm not disputing that. Like, that's all great. I do think that sometimes people misattribute the reasons for their own improvement. And I I think especially, you know, like basketball players, I I think are prone to that sometimes because there are these easy narrative, like you want to you like you want to find a reason for things. And so if you develop naturally, you know, because you're growing and because you're getting older, you kind of point at whatever was going on at the time as the reason for that. Like, are we really going to say that Giannis wouldn't have been Giannis if Jason Kidd hadn't coached him? And are we really going to ignore that the Bucks are in their first conference final since 2001? And the only major change that they made other than adding Brooke Lopez was getting rid of Jason Kidd. Like, I don't know how much player development was he really doing if these guys w- went from like, you know, I think the, the, what were they a first round out last year? Yes. Yeah, to like uh, to the Western Conference Finals. Like Brooke Lopez is not an MVP candidate. Like how how much player development was really going on? Like how I guess maybe you can develop the players and not optimize them well. I guess that's what you have to hope. I, I don't know. I just I don't really totally buy into that narrative. Yeah, Brooke Lopez is like what Sean Livingston was to Mark Jackson when he talked about all the personnel changes that Golden <laughs> State had made to make the title next year. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't you can't disrespect the caterpillar. That's uh that's the lesson of the Jason Kidd tenure in Milwaukee and uh, Mark Jackson. Right. And you uh you read these things about Giannis this year, and he talks a lot about the assistants on Milwaukee staff. Like Sean Sweeney, I think, is a name that comes up a lot when it comes to player development. So I don't discount that Jason Kidd probably had a role in the process, but I mean, I I, I think it's disingenuous to ascribe all of the credit yeah. to him. But I also think that as an assistant, maybe like the the worst tendencies of Jason Kidd could be alleviated. You know, the fact that he's terrible at game management, like his his. I mean, I, I always come back to this just because it's so funny the spilling of the drink against the Lakers, which is probably his greatest in game tactical move. Yes, but maybe like with less responsibility, he could focus more on that. I I mean, it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. I just don't think there are enough basketball reasons to have hired Jason Kidd. I don't think there, are, and obviously all the off the court stuff just presents an even more compelling reason not to hire Jason Kidd. But as long as he's here, I, I'm going to hold on to that Milwaukee hope a little bit more than I probably should. No, I mean, like, of course, you know, obviously it was his quizzes, his mandatory quizzes on NBA history for young players that helped Giannis develop into what he is. I'm not kidding. That's an actual thing. Oh, no, I know. I Rick Carlisle started doing that. I kind of love it. It's funny, but I don't know. Like, how much does that really help? I don't know how much that helps. Um, I So, uh, all right. So w- we should talk about the decision-making tree that led to this, uh, to, to this decision-making and like who is helping make these decisions. And we alluded to it a little bit earlier, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that and who the Lakers shadow executive actually is after this uh, quick break. All right. So Kurt Rambis, huh? <laughs> I remember hearing uh, Magic Johnson might have been the shadow executive or, you know, Jeannie Buss was just stepping in at president of basketball operations, but never in a million years would I have guessed Kurt Rambis, even with all the reporting. Yes. So so there was a report from Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report, who you I'm sure uh, everyone who listens to this podcast is already following and it's probably already read and it's on our site so you can look at it. Um Basically, that Kurt Rambis has been Kurt Rambis was the driving force behind both the kid and the Vogel hires, and that their executive, their anonymous executives around the league, calling him the Lakers' shadow president. So this theory about the shadow executive being with the playoff team and coming in to save the Lakers, and you know, oh, maybe it's Bob Myers, oh, maybe it's Masai Ujiri. Like, nope, it's just Kurt Rambis and uh, and his Twitter account. <laughs> so that's great. I mean, I don't know, like. I just like I just can't anymore with this team and just like keep pretending like this is like a legit well-run franchise. I I, I really like it's been a couple days now, so I'm kind of like exhausted of ranting about it. But if you really want to hear me go off, I I went on Locked On Lakers last week, and you know I really let loose there. Sabrina, I don't know. Just how do you feel about this? This is I think on your Twitter you called it the most po- disappointing possible conclusion. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. It's it's lame, first of all, because it's just another guy with Laker blood who shows up, you know, to superhero swooping in to save the franchise. But the the only plus to having Kurt Ramis around is that it kind of lends a little more credibility to Rob Palinka's, you know, management style because he at least was willing to offer Ty Lue a contract. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. So you have to hope that, you know, like Kurt Rambis, like Palinka somehow executes another coup, um, like he, you know, reportedly or whispers or whatever attempted to do against Magic Johnson by walking around the office and asking, where's Magic Johnson? So you just have to hope that Kurt Rambis is as infrequent of a presence, I guess. I don't know. Uh, like, it's, it's just another thing where, like, what are the qualifications needed to earn a position in the front office? Now, Again, Kurt Rambis doesn't technically have a 
a, a president title or anything, right? They're just saying that he's acting yeah, as a shadow president. Yeah, he's senior basketball advisor. In, right. His influence in these matters suggests like someone of the level of like a president title, but he doesn't he doesn't technically have that role. So we'll refrain from calling him that for now. But it's just what what is Jeannie looking for when it comes to bringing in people to make these very important decisions? Like Karambas, what he's he's Phil Jackson's best friend. Like he was a, a terrible head coach. He was terrible in front office in New York. Like he was their interim coach and flamed out miserably too. Like yeah, I I kind of love that just... there have been you know like insiders justifying this as like with all of Rambus's extensive coaching experience, they brought him in to evaluate these coaches. It's like what does this guy know about? <laughs> like finding a qualified coach. Like let, I, I'm going to borrow a line from one of our silver screen and roll commenters actually underneath your article that I thought was funny. So l- let me just list. Uh, I, I wish I remembered their name off the top of my head, but let me list Kurt Rambis's qualifications for his current role real quick. That was it. Um, <laughs> so like, but I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I, on one hand, I like I you know I could sit here and list all the reasons why this is a bad idea. You just listed many of them in terms of his resume so far. But like on the other hand, since we aren't really going to treat this like a legit professional basketball team anymore, let, let's just empathize with it on a human level. Haven't we all had wildly underqualified friends giving us bad advice before? Like this <laughs> is the most relatable the Lakers have been. Oh man, it's just, it's one thing when it's your friend giving you bad advice. It's another thing when she brings in her boyfriend to like also help. Oh God, getting advice. Like, I don't know that, that actually, that, how, do, how has this worked? I don't know. I, there's nothing I hate more than getting advice from one of my friends significant. Well, actually, no, that's not true. Pete's, Pete's girlfriend is great. But other than that, yeah. usually I don't appreciate advice from my friend's significant others. Yeah. I mean, so does, does Rambus have executive qualifications beyond just being a head coach. I mean, I want to say that he had some measure of authority in Minnesota when he was there, but I think he was just the head coach. I, I think he had somewhat limited power. I think he was part, sort of part of the front office in New York, or I guess maybe not in name, but he was because Phil Jackson was in charge there. And so, right. like, you know, I, I think he's he's obviously had, if you've been in the NBA, you've had insight on how this stuff is done. Because even as, like, a head coach, you know, you get consulted mm-hmm. on all these things and all this. So, like, he's obviously, I, I don't want to completely minimize, like, he's been there. He's been a part of these decisions before. There, we just have no reason to believe that he can make good ones based on the results of those decisions right every situation he's been involved in the last 10 years has been a giant tire fire right like minnesota he i think he lost 100 more games than he won i mean that sounds right 32 and 132 yeah he came back to the lakers you know back during the the byron scott era or maybe the no the end of the mighty antoni era yeah which again, not exactly the happiest times in Lakerland. And then he went to New York, which I, we don't need to go into New York because everybody knows how bad the Knicks are. Like yeah, just because he point. has experience in the NBA, <laughs> that doesn't mean that that qualifies him to earn more roles when he hasn't shown the capacity to be successful anywhere else. Yeah. I don't know. Just, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of done. Like none of this makes sense. And maybe it all works out because Kyrie Irving is weird and, you know, like wants to go to LA and he's very like counterculture and contrarian. And it's just like, I don't think that it's that big of a mess. I can fix it. Or, you know, maybe LeBron offers Kawhi Leonard a bunch of money to be in Space Jam too. That's, that's really, 
like your saving grace right now is that you're hoping that against all odds that this team figures it out. It's not like I think that this team is well run and they have a shot. It's like they're going to back ass backwards into it if they have any success at all. And I don't know. I'm just kind of done like pretending like this is something that we can try and like this is an entity that we can pretend is operating within reason and logic. Yeah, I think that's the best way of putting it. There's just there's no reason to believe that there's any semblance of sound organizational process and every single thing they do just adds more credence to that fact. Yeah, so I think I, I, there are two more things I want to get to before we wrap up this show. And so one of them is news that broke while we were recording and that one of us will probably go write about as soon as we're done. But um, Dr. Judy Sito, uh, according to Om Young Misuk of ESPN, is, uh, rec- is returning to the Lakers. So she was the former head physical therapist, and she was most famous for working with Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant has given her a million shout outs and various interviews and talked about how helpful she was in terms of keeping him going. And, you know, she she's someone who her reputation around the Lakers is that she was just always around, like no matter what time of day it was like Kobe at players, they could call her and she would come up and she would like help and work on them and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so like, I guess she's coming back. It's not totally clear to me if she's coming back to take over the role that Marco Nunez was let go from, or if she's just take or she's just coming back in some capacity, but I guess she is back. So the Lakers are starting to make moves to fill out the rest of their organ, their vacant positions in their organization. Every single one but president of basketball operations i guess yeah i guess um the more i think about it around the league there are some teams that don't technically have a president they have like gms and assistant GMs. yeah so it's not unprecedented i guess but uh yeah this is nice there's a a medical professional coming back to the lakers office which obviously their training staff is in dire need of support but i mean once again they're just going back to the well of people they already know yeah i just wonder like what happened i mean so this is dark, but like, I'm not convinced that like, it, you know, I think that they're going to sell the team before it comes to this, but like what happens when there's no more people working in the NBA that they've like personally worked with before? <laughs> like, I guess it's just like Lonzo coming back to coach the team in 20 years or whatever it may be. Are there like open applications for Lakers positions? Like, is that a thing or do they, is that not actually a process? I don't know. I don't, th- I doubt they're putting out like applications on monster.com or like a zip recruiter or whatever. <laughs> I just did free live reads. That was really dumb. Um, <laughs> I'll bleep those out. Uh, so I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on her coming back. Just be- like, I think this is probably a fine move because from what we know, she helped Kobe a lot and like has a pretty good reputation league wide, but I-, I can't really evaluate. A f- I'm not going to pretend like I can sit here and evaluate someone's performance as, you know, a physical trainer or physical therapist. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I think it's a nice idea that they brought back somebody who is, like you said, well-respected and by all accounts was genuinely good at her job. So that that's basically all I have to say on that. Just Yeah, they just, Laker, need to start, blood. they just need to start finding people with Laker blood that are actually good at their job. Like that's the next yeah. step in this process is like they've, you know, they found a lot of the bad ones and put them in power. And now they just need to, like, find the good ones. And that's probably too much to hope for at this point. And, you know, this is actually related because that's how they got here. But the Lakers are going to be in the lottery this year. This is our last – this is our – final show because we won't have a Tuesday show before the draft lottery on Tuesday. So I believe it's at five 30 on West coast time and the Lakers have the 11th best odds to end up like in the lottery. So it's, I would say it's unlikely that they jump into the top three, which is they can't jump up anywhere else. They can only end up in one of the top three picks and then it kind of orders out in the order that the draft was already in. 
they're sending Kyle Kuzma to represent them. Um, I don't know. Sabrina, do you have any thoughts on just draft? I know you had some thoughts on draft lottery in general. Well, I'm, I'm in the Zach Lowe camp. I think the lottery is hilarious. I love it. Yes. I think it's so funny when they bring all the lucky charms. I think like watching these executives have to sit and pretend to smile when they move down in the lottery is by far the funniest thing. That's true. And this year we're getting the um, the Boston and Philly sharing a table again because of the the co-writes they have to Sacramento's pick, which is also just a great visual gag. Uh, but I mean, I was kind of hoping not to be part of the lottery this year. So that's a bit of a downer. But I mean, uh, if it ends in Zion, you know, who cares? <laughs> Can you imagine if after this week the Lakers get Zion? It would just be so within everything we know about the Lakers. <laughs> the protest worked, everyone. <laughs> they fixed it. The NBA saw and they're like, all right, Lakers fans need to pick me up and they rigged the lottery. That is that is your best hope, I think, as a Lakers fan right now is that That's what the protest you know, although- was for. <laughs> Yeah, like they'll they'll trade it for uh they'll trade it for Bradley Beal or something though. So like, um, I don't. I, as far as like lucky, I guess we can guess that like I don't. I mean, statistically, they are unlikely to move up, but um, I, I think Kyle Kuzma is going to do his best. You know, he is somebody that moved up in the draft himself before, so he has experience at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I would be shocked if he does not bring a Kobe Bryant or LeBron James themed like lucky charm of some kind like he might wear like one kobe shoe and one lebron shoe like the vintage (laughs) ones and just like shout out goat on national tv or something like that and then you know do the mamba hiss or i don't know but like he's gonna do something you know he's gonna do what kyle kuzma does which is like you know ape lakers history a little bit that's probably why they love him so much i just think it's funny that it's funny that kyle kuzma has to go because like literally there's there's nobody else who's like officially working for the lakers who could represent them (laughs) I mean, they could put they could put Kurt Rambis up there. I think Kurt a lot Rambis. of Lakers fans would. <laughs> Can you imagine if they did? <laughs> if like Kyle Guzma got sick or something, they had to send a replacement. <laughs> They're like, oh, it's it's going to be Kurt. He's going to show. We're going to get him in the goggles and everything. It's going to be great. He's going to like, wear his would, old Showtime Lakers. Him as president of basketball operations for the Lakers, and that would be the announcement. <laughs> Yes, that's going to be their press release. Is Kurt Rambis comes up there and they announce him as Kurt, and everybody's like, wait, what? <laughs> Oh, man. Remember when we thought that this month was going to be, like, easy and this was going to be, like, the dead period before things got really crazy in free agency and stuff? And then the Lakers decided to conduct a five-week-long head coaching search that ended in their (laughs) third or fourth choice. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, like, at this point, you're just hoping that they've run out of feet to shoot off. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got nothing else. Uh, Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up here? No, that's about it. Just, uh, you know. Crossing my fingers for good lottery luck. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a Lakers fan, everybody should be doing that because that is like one of their kind of, I guess, few hopes left. Like that's something that the organization, like I joke about trading it for Bradley Beal, but that's something like if they jumped up into the number one pick, they almost can't screw that up. Absolutely. He said, tempting fate. Well, it's um, something so th- that they don't have any direct influence in, so you can't mess it up. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I, I don't know. If Rob Polinka has a reputation. Maybe he can go back there and rig, rig the lottery. That's why they're sending him back. It's like a Mission Impossible thing. <laughs> Uh, all right. So that, that'll wrap it up for the silver screen and roll podcast. I hope all of you, I would say like enjoyed, I don't know. I hope you enjoyed this, even though it's, you know, probably not the most fun 
stuff to listen to right now and the most fun time to be a Lakers fan. But we're trying to keep it light. We're trying to keep you guys informed as much as we can and just have a little bit of fun. And, you know, like uh, we're the band playing as the Titanic goes down. But um, Sabrina, thank you for taking some time out of your Sunday in the middle of Blazers uh, Nuggets to Game 7 to join me. And, um, you know, as always, you can find the show on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere else. I, I, I'm quickly realizing those are the only two podcasting platforms I have memorized. <laughs> um, so you can find the show there and we will be back with a new show on Wednesday with two new hosts. So uh, talk to you later, everybody. Bye.